Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We're currently going through a sermon series called I Am. For these next few weeks, Pastor Jordan will be looking to scripture to answer the question so many of us face, who is Jesus? For generations, people have been debating this question. Was he a good moral teacher? Was he a revolutionary? Was he a figment of history's imagination? Was he a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? John's Gospel records the identity of Jesus by examining his very words. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Yeah, again, thank you for all coming here today. We're, we're, we're into our last uh, message in this series of I Am. Uh, so this is the I Am the True Vine today, and uh, this is the seventh, well actually eighth message, but there are seven uh, statements of Jesus here of the I Am, where he says, I am the bread of life, uh, I am the light of the world, I am the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, um, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, and here today we come to I am the true vine or even just simply says it, I am the vine. And so we're going to look at what that means today. Uh, if you'd turn with me to John 15, and we're going to read this passage in John 15. Look at John 15, and uh, just by way of announcement and reminder, as they said, we prayed, Jerry prayed for the baptism that's coming up in a couple of weeks. If you're still interested and the Spirit's pushing on your heart to be baptized there, you could connect with me or Josh, and uh, you still have some time for that, uh, but that's coming up on September 3rd, uh, right uh, in the afternoon up at Camp Winnemac, and so that's going to be an exciting time. I hope you can join us for that. And then before we jump in this, just by way, uh, I'm going to be gone for a few days next week and a little bit in the week after. I'm going on vacation, so don't talk to me. Don't call me. No, joking. Uh, don't email me. No. Uh, you're, you're free. I'll, I'll be available. I'll still be down there in the Cape and all, but Josh is going to be speaking here for me uh, the next two weeks. I'm really excited about that to hear from him, uh, hear what God's been teaching him, and he's going to jump in there and give us some awesome messages, uh, Connect Sunday, so much is happening in the fall, September, uh, all the programs starting back up and kids back to school, just a lot happening. I know this time of year is a challenging time, the busyness of summer coming to a close and the busyness of the start of school. And uh, so I, I, pr- I pray that it, it'll be a blessing to many of you and many of you young families are in a busy time of life. And today, as, especially this, this, me- this message uh, has been weighing on my heart for a little while. I, I've known this one has been coming uh, John 15 has always been one of those chapters that has impacted me a great deal, and, and I pray it, it will be encouraging to you. So let's read this passage, John 15. The context is after Jesus has had the Last Supper, he's washed the disciples' feet. They've gone out on a walk towards the Mount of Olives, and um, he's walking along the way, and perhaps he sees a vine. We're not really sure. Perhaps he sees a wall or a stone wall with a, a vine, or maybe they walk through a vineyard or or what, but he, he gives this illustration to them in this figure of speech. And he says to them in John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean 
That word clean there is actually connected to the word prune etymology, in the etymology there. So pruning and cleaning, this kind of connects. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. You'll hear this word and you, as we read these next verses, try to find every time you hear the word abide, count how many times he mentions it. The word abide can also mean remain or stay connected. So verse four, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in my love. Get a theme here? How many times is he saying it? Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, uh, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let us pray. Father, we come today as your church, as your gathered people and assembly of saints. We come before you, Father, seeking wisdom looking for encouragement and help. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Teach us from your word. Encourage our hearts. Guide us in the way that we should go. And God, speak through your spirit to all of us today. In whatever way that might be, may your truth ring out from this place, not only in the songs that we have sang, the songs that we sing and even the prayers that we pray, but messages and your word that is preached here in this place, would you, would you make yourself real to us this morning? This would not be just another exercise that we have to go through, but Lord, something that is real, a revelation of God presented to us in this place through your word. Speak your life into us and may your spirit be with us here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, this is the last message in the I Am series. I hope it's been helpful for, for you. So we've been looking at what, what Jesus says about himself. Who does Jesus say he is? He says, I am the way, right? I am the bread. I am the light. And he's very clear, and yet sometimes it's very unclear as to what he means by those figures of speech. 
And yet what is clear is the purpose of which all of these things have been recorded for us. The very beginning of this series, we looked at the name of God that leads us into this I Am series, the I Am Who I Am from the Old Testament. And we looked at how God and Jesus are connected here, obviously. This is the Trinity. And, and then we look even in John 15, earlier and after, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And we get this Trinitarian uh, aspect of who God is with the I Am. And yet, we, we find that when we're breaking it down to the core of what John is writing for us, what we just read in John 15 as to why these things have been recorded to us and why we spend so much time looking at God's word, John tells us at the end of his book why he wrote this, why he recorded the statements of Jesus, why he took the time to compile a gospel account of Jesus' life and message and reason for coming. He says this in John 20, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So many things that cannot be recorded. We could even say so many things in your life that have happened since that are not recorded here but the Lord knows of them. But so many things that have happened that are not recorded in this book. Verse 31 says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So many of these messages have been pressing into these real deep core aspects of questioning that we have of, of life and death. Because the questions of Jesus are revolving around that. Who is Jesus? But ultimately, as he points us, as Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And, and through this light, men will find the light of life these are all passages revolving around life and finding life because it is the one common denominator between us all. The common denominator is we are all growing old and there is a day for all of us appointed for man once to die. And the question remains for us then, then who is it that can answer this question, this problem of humanity, the problem of death? And Jesus comes in and steps into the scene and in all of the different ways he enters into our suffering and into our sickness, as Jerry was saying, this compassion that he has. He steps in and suffers with us and he takes on our sin and he becomes our very life. So this series is about, yes, questions of identity of who Jesus is, but ultimately, yes, who he is in comparison of really in, in respects to what he can do for us in the very biggest problem that we have, sin and death. And so today when he says, I am the true vine, he, he also is further honing in on that. For this is the last clear statement he gives to the disciples before he will shortly after this be arrested and wrongly tried and eventually crucified. And so John 15 gets into this idea of, of a fruit, of a garden, an organic metaphor of sorts. And yet John 15, I, I was telling my wife how uh, this week how, how impactful this chapter is and yet how frustratingly confusing it is at times, right? Do you ever feel like that? And maybe you've, you've felt like the disciples have the last couple of weeks when they say, uh, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. Can you explain to us again? And we're thankful that he does, right? He does that with the gate and the door and the good shepherd metaphor and he does it last week when Thomas says, we don't know which way you're going, Lord. 
Uh, I don't really know exactly what you're talking about. And he says, I am the way that you're going. I am the truth and the life. But, but here I find myself going into this metaphor and feeling as if I understand it all. And I'm like, yep, I can preach this to everybody. And then I read the next verse and I'm like, I don't get that, right? You know? And so I will fully admit, out of all of the I am statements, this one often has me the most maybe it challenges me the most to fully grasp and understand it because I feel at times it's an organic growing metaphor that as I go about life, I begin to see different aspects of what this truly means. Because he says, I am the true vine, and then he says, bear fruit, and then he says, abide in me and I in you. And on surface, it seems very simple. In fact, isn't that how the gospel message works? It is so simple. A child can understand it, and yet you'll never reach a point in your life to where you've plumbed the depth of it. It is, it is one of those things that, that to me, I, I've been wrestling with this week, trying to understand and grasp it, to be able to try to teach what I feel as if this passage is saying, and yet I know God and his spirit will pass through all of those things and encourage your hearts today wherever you are and whatever you're needing. The spirit will offer that to you in the place that, that you need it most. And so in this comes this concept, really this idea of I am the true vine, this abiding and staying and remaining connected to a source of life, abide, stay. And yet this phrase that has been just challenging me this week is abide, abide in me and I in you. A phrase that maybe some of you who grew up in church are very well familiar with. Maybe those of you who are new into all this, you're, you're trying to figure out what that means as we all are. But I found it interesting as this passage comes off of John 14, which is an amazing chapter. But in John 14, it begins with the I am the way, the truth, and the life uh, statement. And then it goes into these glorious statements about the Holy Spirit that Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples and they're having trouble trying to figure out what he's saying. But but he says in John 14, uh, even verses like verse 16 and 17, he says, and I will ask the Father, he's going to give you a helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And he says these words, he dwells with you and will be in you. This Holy Spirit, this helper, comforter, paraclete, will be in you. What, is, what does that mean? And then verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Because I live, you also will live. And then he says statements like this in verse uh, 23. Jesus answered them and says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And get this. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Statements about a spirit, the, the spirit of God, of Jesus, making his home with you and in you. It's an extraordinary statement when you consider the greatness and the power of God to come and dwell with us. And maybe it's a phrase you might say that in the Christian church we say all the time, that we are in Christ or does Christ live in our heart and we maybe don't think about the magnitude of a statement like that. Or that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. Like, do we grasp the importance of that connection 
that closeness to God. In fact, I saw a video online and I went looking for it and I couldn't find it again. So I don't even know where it was and I was hesitating to use it as an illustration, but there was a pastor, a speaker, and he was being interviewed and he was talking about how really when he goes to talk to people about the Christian faith, he does not ask people whether they are saved anymore, he says. Although that's a fine statement to say, hey, are you saved? Have you been saved? It's not necessarily wrong to ask, but he says the way he tries to distinguish these things to people now is not so much, hey, have you been saved, but does Christ live in you? And I found that as a fascinating way to try to, to distinguish the uniqueness of Christianity, the Christian faith. What's, what makes our faith and what we are celebrating here today and what we were singing about, it, what makes it unique? What, what makes this special? What makes the Christian faith? Well, there are many things, but I think one thing that often stands out to me is the fact that we have a God that is not far above and transcendent, and that is all that he is, though he is powerfully transcendent above, and yet this God is intimately aware with me and my life, and has come to make his home with me. The idea that really distinguishes Christianity from maybe any other major religion you could say is that, that our God comes to live within us. <laughs> it, it's a It's a, because I, I know how I am. I mean, I know who Jordan Moody is, and it's extraordinary to consider that the Holy Spirit would find me a, a dwelling place for him, that he would sanctify me and, and make me holy and more like himself. Why would he choose me for this? And so in John 14, 23, this phrase has Christ come to make his home in us through his spirit, and we, do we think that through? And that's where leads us into this idea of I am the true vine, because that's what he's getting at. That I am the true vine, and he says, abide in me, stay connected to this vine. This is how we grow. This is how we find spiritual life, because we are connected to Jesus. First John says, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. First John 5. And so the, the simplicity of it is there, but the really nuts and bolts and how this work is extraordinarily challenging, and I would say in some ways mysterious, and I think I'm comfortable saying that in, in many ways, that there are some mysteries of the Gospels and the mysteries of the Spirit that by faith we begin to understand as they grow and work their way out to be revealed in our own lives over time. And so I think this, this idea can be explained through this as we work through it here, this Verses one through three carry this concept of growing up as a plant, as this organic metaphor and figure of speech. As a plant grows up from a seed, it grows up and bears fruit. We understand this concept. And so I think the question we're asking is really Jesus is trying to answer to them, hey, I'm going to be leaving you, but I'm going to leave a spirit that's going to be with you, but make sure you don't separate yourself from me. Make sure you don't disconnect yourself from the source of your very life. Stay connected, abide, because this is how you will grow when I leave you. And so how do we grow? And that is the answer question for us today, that Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Ultimately, he's saying, you are the only way you grow is through me. In fact, when he says, I am the true vine, he's hearkening back to the Old Testament metaphors. In Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, many of the prophets and Psalms, it mentions that Israel is like a vine or a vineyard. 
And, and so when Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, he's saying, uh, it is no longer that you come to the Father and through salvation through becoming an Israelite. You now come to salvation to the Father through me. I am the new doorway in where you will find source of life to grow. And so Isaiah 5 describes this. A people, a nation of Israel is like this vineyard that God has planted and cultivated, but he goes to the vineyard, and as the, vine, uh, the vine dresser goes to the vineyard in Isaiah 5, he finds that instead of yielding wonderful, beautiful grapes, it has yielded wild grapes. And this is this metaphor that God uses there in Isaiah 11. And even a passage we read, it's a call to worship where David, this branch that comes springing out in Isaiah 11, it says, there comes forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from its roots. And this branch that comes from a stump, it will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is speaking about this final David that would come, a branch, this shoot that would come and bear fruit for the whole world to bless them with. In Isaiah 11:10, in that day, the root of Jesse this root that comes out, who will stand as a signal, as a sign for all the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. The image here of the Messiah, this Jesus Christ, this vine, this tree trunk, this branch, not, not a branch, but this trunk that grows up from the ground and springs forth branches that will bear fruit to bless the world. This is the image of Jesus Christ, this vine that seeps its roots down into the ground, whereby everything else has life. The vine shoots out and brings new life into the world. Carter and Redberg say it this way, here's the point, they say the path to God doesn't go through the nation of Israel, it goes through Jesus. You don't need to become a citizen of Israel to be right with God, you need to become a disciple of Jesus. Don't worry about being in Israel, instead focus on being in Jesus. This is the union with the Christ. The connection to the true vine is the only way to please the gardener and the vine dresser. And so we grow by being connected to the vine. We grow also by pruning, though. Because look at this. In, in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser, this gardener. And then every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. There's this idea of pruning and that it may what? That it may bear more fruit. And so without pruning, we become burdened down. We have this extra weight of all of these other things and pursuits around our lives that kind of suck out the life and to keep us from bearing fruit. It draws our attention to other places that don't matter. And the vine dresser comes along and prunes along the, the branches in order that, that fruit would be maximized. So instead, pruning by God in our lives, it, he comes into our spiritual lives. He directs the spiritual sustenance. You could say the sap flowing into the tree, uh, the vitality and the water and the nutrients to the very points in our life as a branch that need it most so that we can bear fruit in those areas of growth. And so many other times those places that are cut off or limbs are lopped are taken away and burned. And this is that idea of the vine dresser in our life. He, he takes away. He cuts off. He, and, and for me, I, I think about it often as taking away those things that I am beginning to idolize and worship that are not God. God will often come into your life and remove those forcibly. And often it is painful. 
He will slow us down. In fact, the growth that we think is necessary in our lives and all of these things, he will slow that down to be able to channel us into what truly matters. He takes off that deadness, that sin, those areas of distraction, and he, and he puts it off. And often we would see these things often in our lives as like, hey, I'm going through a trial. I'm going through a hard time. James 1, 2, count it all joy, though, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that testing of your faith does what? It produces steadfastness. Produce. <laughs> Fruit. It produces something. It's these testing, it's these pruning, it's these challenges that come into our life and it actually produces within us the fruit that we're needing to bear. And yet so often I try to escape these things and I avoid the lesson that God is trying to teach me and, and I kind of resist the fruit that he's wanting me to bear because I don't want that pruning because it hurts and it's difficult. And yet God in, in his sovereignty comes into this life. And, and I think that's what been dwelling on this quote this week by C.S. Lewis who speaks about from the problem of pain that pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I think that is so much of what we see in this life of needing those areas in our life to make us stronger, for that is where we grow. It is in the pruning that we find that as we come through it, as the sap and the source has not been disconnected, but as that grows, we now in this next season of life, we bear even more fruit than we ever could before. And that's what God does in our lives. And I wonder for you today where you find yourself in this story. Whether you find yourself at a place where you feel like you're being pruned where you feel like God has been pulling back at your life and telling you to, to start snipping away at things that do not matter and draw attention away from what truly matters, your worship and your relationship with him. And I think at times there are ways in which we need to fully realize that we might be in this place, but yet God is doing it because he loves us. He chastens those, his children, whom he loves and he prunes so that here we would bear more fruit. And that's really the goal. You'll see this phrase used several times in the passage that we would bear fruit. We'd bear more fruit. That we'd bear much fruit. And then at the end, this fruit would abide and remain. It's a lasting fruit. It's something that isn't going anywhere but will last forever. And so this idea of abiding, this remaining is so important because this is the concept that he's speaking to. How do we... How do we bear this fruit? How do we, yes, get through the pruning process? Well, we stay connected to the vine. We abide, we remain, stay firm and strong. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, yet those who wait or abide in the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not be weary. Wait, abide, remain, stay with him. Follow him, he will guide you. He will lead you, he will strengthen you and he will grow you through pruning and he will grow you by abiding. Really, this is verses four through six here. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It cannot bear fruit by yourself. That's why this concept of abiding is so important. 
endure. In fact, that's very much what uh, Jerry was talking about, this idea of toughness and enduring the pruning and enduring those times of hardness and enduring the winter so that spring may come. It's enduring, but yet living because you're connected to the vine. And then God will bless. And at the end of this whole sermon, he talks about that your joy may be full, right? And so it's, it's the concept of, of remaining plugged in, re- remaining charged up, right? I mean, you guys are trying to, maybe this is better, right? You, you got a phone, you got an iPad, you got a computer. You got to plug it in, right? And if you disconnect and set apart that connection source of power to your phone, it will die. It will run out of battery, some faster than others, right? Uh, so whatever charge you have, it will run out until you reconnect and, and abide connected to the source of power that gives you the ability to do what he's called you to do. So a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. A phone cannot exist by itself, for it will eventually run out. This will be cut off. It'll be cast aside. It'll wither and die. And it even gives this really aggressive form of, of judgment and fire that comes where these branches are thrown into the fire. And yet we see in Psalm 1, the very example given to us of what what does a person who follows Jesus look like? What does a person who follows in the path and the way of righteousness and says no to the way of sinners? Well, Psalm 1, blessed is the man, for he's like a tree planted by streams of living water, and it yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither, but in all that he does, he prospers. And I was thinking of this vine and this vineyard concept, and to me, I'm not at all into that vineyard and vine dressing and I was having trouble truly understanding it although I was looking up online and watched this whole video about how somebody prunes of a vine and all of these things it was quite fascinating in order to bear more fruit and yet for me I'm, I'm a New Englander, right? So, so some of you uh, know what sap season is like and maple syrup and tapping uh, 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 sugar maple. And I know I'm treading on very thin ice here because there are many like professional uh, maple syrup people in here, right? Uh, what do you call yourself? Tappers or whatever? I don't know. So you, you, right? you guys are, are like professionals in here. Some amazing skill when it comes to these kinds of things. And so I watched a few YouTube videos and so I feel like an expert myself. So, right? But, but tapping a sugar maple, there's something unique and beautiful about it. And in that February time after the, you know, we know that spring is coming, right? You get those cold nights and, and warm days and the sap is running. And everybody around here is all of a sudden so busy that nobody, nobody's available, right? Because you're all in the woods and you're all making maple syrup. It's, it's fascinating. This sap is this very intricate process that goes on. It, uh, the, the tree almost like flexes it up and down throughout the tree. And when you tap it, this, this liquid comes pouring out and you collect it and boil it down and make it into this wonderful fruit of real maple syrup. Because the fake stuff, who wants that? It's, it's not, it's like ungodly, right? And so the true source of, of the fruit that we enjoy, the maple syrup, right? But it's that sap that flows in the xylem and the phloem. Found that online. And you xylem and the phloem in there. The, the sap flows up in from the ground in through that sugar maple. I sound like an expert. And, and it, it comes up. But it is. It's like the very nutrients that come into that water. But the nutrients that come and feed the leaf growing process. And feed the ability of that tree to bear the fruit that it can. And so that whole process of the sap coming in is like the lifeblood of the tree. Without that sap, without any of that, the, the tree will wither and die, it rots. 
dies eventually and falls over in a storm or whatever it might be. It gets cut down and lopped down as a rotten dead tree. But a, but a tree that is living, this sugar maple that is just absolutely beautiful. Here in a couple of weeks, you'll have some of the most beautiful scenes of the fall and the autumn and the colors. It's this wonderful life blood of the tree that flows within us, that vascular system, which is similar to our own vascular system. The blood that pumps in my heart and flows into my lungs and pours out into my extremities and gives me the very life whereby I can stand here in this place. That blood that flows within me, that sap that flows within a wonderful uh, sugar maple, that, that, that same kind of source and nutrients that flows up into a vine that bears the fruit uh, for the world to enjoy. This, this, this aspect of bearing fruit only comes when, it, when we are tapped in and abide into Jesus. You are connected to the source of life. And in many ways, this is harping, like he said in John 14, and even later on in John 15, the idea of the Spirit of God that flows within us and gives us the life so that we can grow. But you only grow when you abide, when you stay. If that sugar maple wants to bear fruit, or if that vine wants to bear fruit on its own, apart from the ground, apart from the roots, apart from the trunk, it is impossible. Jesus makes this point to you and to me, and yet we somehow do not get it into our thick skulls. You cannot bear fruit on your own. (laughs) You can't do what God has called you to do on your own strength and power. Sure, your phone will last for a few hours, but it will eventually run out of its own power and its own juice. You need to stay connected to the Spirit of God, the person of Jesus Christ, the the Spirit of Christ that has come to live within you like that sap that flows inside of us, this Holy Spirit that fills us and sanctifies us and indwells us, equips us, empowers us, illuminates our eyes to understand things and to sanctify us and make us holy. Be holy as I am holy. We are filled with that life. And so that an apple tree can bear fruit, bear apples. Right? A pear tree can bear pears, right? It, this, this idea of trees and, and fruit and bearing what they're called to bear, a good tree, a good fruit, will, will bear good fruit, right? This is what a Christian is supposed to do. This is what a tree is supposed to do. This is why we are made. This is why we are still here. He says, I'm leaving you, but I'm calling you to stay, remain connected to me so that you may bear fruit. You may bear fruit to bless the world and this fruit comes in the source of verses really seven and on here. He talks about answered prayer. He talks about obedience and and love. And so this idea of abiding, it will produce fruit in us. It will produce the fruit of answered prayer. Look at him in verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. This is a phrase repeated in different places in chapter 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Chapter 14 and and other places in John, it mentions this idea of prayer becomes to the person who is connected to Christ almost an aspect of exhaling. We, We inhale the word and God's truth and we exhale his truth and promises back to him. 
We inhale and exhale. It is part of the very life of, of our being, of our bodies. In, in some ways, many even say trees tend to have this exhale, releasing this carbon dioxide, this inhale and exhale. Trees are living in this way. We too, in so many ways, are, are this breathing in of the truth of God and what he is and the spirit of God fills us. And we exhale as we speak back to God and we are in relationship with him. And he calls us his friends after all. He says, you're not my slaves. In fact, you are my friends, he says in verse 14. And yet, we find that as we pray to him, that Jesus or God is not just this person we pray to to get whatever we want, as if he's a genie in the bottle and you can rub it and you get three wishes and you ask whatever wish you want and you get it, yay, right? That would be interesting. (laughs) God is not some cosmic vending machine that we get to punch in the right numbers and get dispensed our need at that time. Rather, it is this ask in my name, in my character, ask according to my will. Here he says, is if my words abide in you, God's word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you because God's word is within you. You are going to ask what he wants. You're going to want what he wants. You're going to pray for what he he is already doing. And he answers and gives good gifts to his children. And so it's this beautiful thing of being in relationship with God that we speak to him and he answers our prayers. He hears our words And it's in this relationship we find these answered prayers come as the fruit that we bear when we abide to Christ. But when we are abiding in Christ, we also show and display love to the world. He says, if you abide in my love, look at this, in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. Love is central through this passage. And if you love someone, you're going to spend time with them. If you love someone, you're going to listen to what they say. If you love someone, you're going to want to be like them and you're going to follow them. If you love someone, you're going to gather together with them and you're going to do what he says. But if you hate that person, you're going to avoid them. You're not going to listen to what they say. If you hate somebody, you're not going to stay around with them and gather with others who love that person. You're going to avoid. Abiding looks a lot like loving. Abiding and remaining with Christ looks a lot like loving. It is that love and abiding come connected. When you abide in Christ, his love abides in you and you dispense that love to others around you. It is the source whereby we can love because that's how he ends this entire really teaching. He says in verse 17, these things I command you so that you what? So that you love one another. So the rubber meets the road. Are what you are taking in, is that making a difference in your life to the point where you are actually seeking to love those who are around you, to give that love. And it's by giving that love that we also demonstrate our obedience to the one that we are connected to. Look at, he says in verse 10, as I've already read it in some ways, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commands, what does that have to do? Commandments, obedience, I don't really like that. I like the love part, right? But this idea of living a life that is holy, a living a life that matches up to with what you believe you walk the walk, right? You, you do it, you, you speak, you talk the walk, you do it all. You, it matches up. Are you abiding in Christ? And by abiding in Christ, you will obey what he says. You will do what he does. And are we changing our lifestyles to exemplify the one that we're connected to? Are we displaying our love for God by actually obeying what he says? It's one thing as a child or a kid 
totally ignores the statements of his parents? Is that a way that we show love and respect and honor to our parents by rejecting everything they say and doing the opposite? No, it is by respect and by love for the one who is over us that we do what they say and we desire to please them and live a life uh, that is pleasing to them because we are connected to them. The difference this makes is this obedience is extraordinary. It is love. And really, the difference that all of this makes is obeying God with our lives, being connected to him and, and remaining connected to him, abiding. And this aspect of the answered prayer that starts to uh, kind of display out from our lives, then, then what happens is our lives are changed and people can notice it because we are full of joy. Look at verse 11. This is our last concept for today. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. I mean, sometimes in church we do forget that aspect. We gotta do these things, we gotta think these things, we gotta go here and do that and all these things, sing these things, pray these things. And we forget the, the amazing difference that abiding in Christ should have in your life. It should put a smile on your face occasionally, okay? It, it should change the way that you look at everything around you because you have joy. You have a joy that, that like doesn't just get tossed around with the circumstances of life, but something that is like an anchor that holds in the middle of a storm. Abiding in Christ, being connected to him, produces fruit, and that fruit blesses the world and blesses those around you and blesses your own life so that people can see that change that God is making in you because you are full of joy. There is real joy, the fruit of joy. The blessing of a life connected to Christ is full of joy. It's happiness. That's why there is laughter. There's enjoying the life that God has given you. Enjoying the blessings that he's provided to you. Not always dragging ourselves everywhere. Grumbling and complaining about the littlest things that don't matter. You know, these things that we spend way too much time fussing around with. But rather, are we connected to Christ? Are we walking in the Spirit? And if we are, this kind of life and lifestyle matches up with obedience and love and prayer. These things being filled and abiding in God's word, it produces joy in our lives where we can actually enjoy life. Doesn't mean that we won't be pruned at times and light. Doesn't mean that life is easy and we never experience the valley of the shadow of death. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means in the middle of all of that, there's still a joy that abides, a joy that remains, because that's the kind of fruit that a true life that is attached to Christ, that abides in him, that's the kind of fruit it produces. It's not a passing fruit of a fruit that's here and gone to, you know, withers away the next day, or a manna kind of thing that then the next day it's gone. This idea of a fruit that remains. He says in verse 16, I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide and remain. What a beautiful thing. And he, our Father, may give it to us. Because this is what Jesus is. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the source of our life, the very sap, the lifeblood the, that flows within us, the source that fills us with the very power to change, the very power to grow. And how is it that we do this Christian life? You can put on a, a, a face and force it for a little while, grit your teeth, right? Or you can find your source of power to change and grow from a different place, outside of yourself. It's actually something that is 
very close to you and intimate is the spirit of God that lives within you. It is the power to change. It is the power to overcome addictions in your life. It is the power that actually enables you to overcome that indwelling sin. It is the power that actually allows you to love your spouse even when things are difficult. It is the power that it enables you to go through the grief and the hardship and the pruning of life and to go through it with a smile on your face and a hope for tomorrow. There's a source of power that is something much greater than, than just knowing something in our head. For that knowledge connects to our heart and it actually makes a difference in our life. As simple as saying, you know what? I feel as if I'm growing. I, I, I start to want certain things now that I didn't before. Now, I can't fully explain that except for the fact that there's something inside of me that's changed and that is changing each and every day as we remind ourselves of who we are truly connected to, where it is we get our source. Oh, we'll run off on our own and try to do it on our own for some time. We'll bang our head against that pole for many, many hours until we realize what it is we're doing. And we run back to Jesus and remind ourselves he is the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. It is through his spiritual power within us that we can bear fruit to bless the world and to bless you and you and you and the people in this community can find that we share the fruit of the spirit of goodness and of love, of kindness and gentleness, that we can share that with one another and we can pray for each other and we can have answered prayer because we actually believe what God is saying to us because the spirit of God is working in our lives because the great I am is powerful above. He is transcendent and powerful and able to do far more than you could ever ask or think. And yet that I am says that he is the bread of life that gives you the sustenance and the needs that you have every day. And that bread of life is also the light of the world that though you are walking in darkness and in blindness, now finally for the very first time when you come to Jesus, you can see things you, didn't, you weren't able to see before. You can finally see truth and right and wrong and you see what it is you need to see in life because he is your light. Then he is the door, though there are many other ways and doors that people would like to say. He says, come to the sheepfold, enter through me and you will find rest and you will find life. And that sheepfold is not a place where we stay for he will lead us out of it because he says, I am the good shepherd. Follow me as your sheep. You know my voice and you answer and hear my voice. Follow me as your good shepherd and I will lead you and I will guide you. I will place you by paths of streams of living water and I will guide you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will lead you to these places. I am the good shepherd. And then ultimately when death comes, we know that he is the resurrection and the life. That death does not hold us down for he's had victory over it all. Death, where is your power? Where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Jesus is resurrected above it all. And because we join with him in a life and in a baptism like his, we certainly will join with him in a resurrection like his. And, it, and then he says, I'm the way, I am the truth, I am the way that you find and understand what is right, what is wrong. God is saying, I am the truth. The way you know what is right, the way you know what it is, is because of me. And, and in that you find life. And then I am the true vine. I am the way, the source of all of life. The reason you're here right now is to tap into me and to bear fruit that blesses the world around you. And I pray that that would be God's blessing for you, that in all of these things that he commands us, that we would learn to bear fruit. And in that fruit, we would remember that we are to love one another. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for these words. 
Thank you for your goodness upon us. The goodness of your fruit that pours out into our lives as a baptism of new life cleanses us from sin but now allows us to walk in newness of life. I pray, God, that you would continue to remind us this week of where our true source of life comes from, where our true source of love comes from, where all of these things are from you. And I, and I pray, God, you would remind us of this. You would encourage our hearts to look back on all that you've done in our lives and all that you will continue to do in the future. Encourage uh, these people here today, God. As, as I may not have been able to explain these things as well as I wish I could have, Lord, I pray that you and your spirit would not let your word return void, but would encourage these people to continue and to press on and to, to remain and to stay and abide connected to you. For, for from you, Lord, is where we find our source and our power, the true power to live this Christian life the way you've called us to go, to go and walk on the way of righteousness, Lord. We pray for that. Would you bless these people today. And God, we thank you for your goodness and we sing to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.